Amen. Well, you can find your seat. My name is Jeff. I am a pastor here. I have the great privilege of preaching God's Word. So let's open our Bibles. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. If uh, you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, You can find our event there and kind of take notes and follow along with the scriptures. Or you'll notice that our ushers are coming around with a Bible. You can just slip your hand in the air. Uh, They would love to have, uh, give you a copy of God's Word. We want you to have that in front of you. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 2 today. Uh, And and, uh, as you're turning there, um, I hope you guys had an awesome Thanksgiving. You had some fun uh, going around the table. I don't know if this happens in your house, but uh, whenever, whenever we do Thanksgiving, at some point, you've got to go around and like, say something you're thankful for, right? Like this is just something you do. And uh, everybody inevitably says something about they're thankful for their friends and family, right? You thankful for your friends and family? We are incredibly thankful for friends. And I just want to say, I, I don't know if, if you've got a friend that would come to mind that you're like, man, I'm just so glad that I have them in my life. Um, I'm really thankful for my friend, uh, Carissa. I know she's my wife, uh, but I'm like, like, I love the fact that like, we really enjoy hanging out together. We enjoy friendship. And, and in fact, uh, my kids this week thought it was funny that I still call her like she's my girlfriend. Like I still get to enjoy being friends with her. We love friends, right? We want to enjoy friendship. In fact, when we think about uh, stories of friendship, stories of friendship are really moving. We think about stories of, uh, you know, true stories like, like David and Jonathan or uh, maybe fictious, fiction stories like uh, Mr. Darcy or Mr. Bingley, uh, Samwise and Frodo, uh, Buzz and Woody, uh, Ron and, and Harry and Hermione, right? Like we, we, we enjoy stories of friendship. Why? Because good friends are really hard to come by, and if you have a a good friend, that's a treasure. And if we can just be honest, everybody here in Northern Virginia is looking for friends, and we're desperate. We, We have a longing that we would have those kind of relationships, and if you have a friend like that, you're like, man, I can't imagine doing life without them. Well, Mark chapter 2 is going to give us this compelling picture of the person of Jesus. I think you're going to see he's, he's kind of uh, shocking and uh, scandalous, but also really encouraging. And if you are looking for a friend, then I want to give you the big idea of this text this morning. Note this. Jesus is the forgiving friend you need. Jesus is the forgiving friend that you need. Father, I pray that you would speak to us even right now. I uh, love that we get to open up your word. And I love that we get to see you. I'm praying that uh, we would see Jesus high and lifted up and exalted. Would you uh, remind us of who you are? God, we want to be disciples who follow you. But I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you and impressed with you. You would help us to know that you really are that friend that we need. And we're incredibly thankful for it. So I pray that you would um, help us to just kind of revel in the forgiveness that we have and and be enamored with the person of Christ again today, that you would speak to us and move in our hearts that we'd be more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 2, what I want to do is uh, give you three shocking and encouraging truths about Jesus that I think are going to make you uh, treasure his friendship that you have with him. Here's the first. Note this. Jesus knows your deepest need. Jesus knows your deepest need. Let me show that to you in the Scriptures. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Mark tells us that when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. 
And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And then when they could no longer get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic, paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So let's just get the setting here. Uh, verse 1 tells us that he's in Capernaum, which that's the city that we saw last week when Jesus started doing some of his miracles and he, and he cast out the demon and, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And, and it tells us that, that he's back in Capernaum at home. So that means he's likely back in uh, Peter's house. And he's there in Peter's house, but like we, we, we saw the like word was getting out last week. Remember, he's, he's really famous. He can't even get into cities because everybody, he, everybody wants a piece of Jesus, so it's really hard for him to get around. Somehow he manages to get back in the house, and everybody hears about it. And so they show up. Verse 2 tells us that so many people were gathered, there was no more room for them, not even at the door. I mean, I just kind of picture the final scene of It's a Wonderful Life, you know, where everybody's like crowding in the house, and, and it's like standing room only and 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 why why well it tells us at the end of that verse verse two that he's uh, preaching the word to them notice they didn't come for a show they actually came because they wanted to hear what this man Jesus had to say but it's about to turn into something they've never seen before because verse three tells us that there's this uh, paralytic man carried by four men now we we don't know why he's paralyzed we don't know what like what's really going on with him we really don't know much about him we know he can't walk and and it's pretty obvious why he's trying to get into Jesus I mean these these four guys they they obviously love him and 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 they want to see him healed and they believe they're like this guy Jesus he's the one he can do something about this and so they want to bring him to Jesus so that he can heal him Uh, but it says they're having some trouble because verse 4 when 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 the crowd they couldn't get near him because the crowd so, so, so everybody's just crowding in around them. You, you feel everybody's just kind of like pushing their way to the front. They don't care about this guy. It's kind of like when traffic is merging on 66, you know, like everybody's trying to move in. And there's that one guy who's trying to merge in. But you could tell he's like really hesitant and, and, and nervous and, and cautious. And, but it's rush hour. And so everybody's like, I don't care. Sorry, dude. Like you got like, to be aggressive. You got to be able to drive around here. That's what's going on. They're trying to push to the front. We got to get him in. We want him to see. But, but, but the way they did it is, is kind of interesting. How are they going to get him? They, they decide that they go up on the top and they remove the roof above him, and they make an opening, and they let down the, I don't, I don't know if they like had some ropes or something, like I don't know exactly how this worked, but, but the, the point is like they are, they are so convinced that Jesus is the one that can fix this guy's problem. They just have a relentless determination to get him to this man, Jesus, because they think that he can do something about it. I think if, if this guy had been acting on his own, like all alone, and he's, and he's kind of doing this for himself. I don't know, he's like, like bungee jumping down to the front to get to Jesus. Like, I think some people probably would have been ticked off that he's cutting the line. 
But at this point, like, they're, they're looking at these guys. They're looking at, like, the, the dedication here. And, and, and like, obviously, that's, these guys love this dude, and, and, and they want to help him, and, and he's helpless. And so it's, it's almost like one of those uh, YouTube videos that, that we all tear up at when, when, whenever we see, like, a runner who's running, and, and he ends up getting hurt, and, and someone comes along and, like, puts their arm over and, like, helps him across the finish line. It, like, and and, and it's, it's heartwarming. And everybody's like, man, this is awesome. I'm like, glad they did that. Like, there's, this is kind of a moving picture that we see here. And can you just imagine if this had happened, if this would happen on a Sunday morning, like somebody would just like open up the roof and, and, and start lowering a guy who needs to, like I'm not going to do anything about that, but I, and I know that many of you are like the engineering minds. You're going to spend the rest of the morning trying to figure out how that would be physically possible. Don't do that, okay? Just like picture it. Just imagine it in your mind. Everybody knows what Jesus is about to do, right? They're impressed with these guys. Like, now, that's awesome that they would do this for him. And they've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal the sick. And so I think everybody's expecting Jesus' next move. But it says he saw their faith. I mean, even Jesus is like, man, look at these guys. Like, they, when we talk about guys that really believe that I can do something, this is great faith here. And he turns to the paralyzed man and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that one coming. Like, like, like why? Did, 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 did he just like miss diagnose the, the, the problem? I mean, like, I, I got to be thinking that, that even the, the paralytic guy is probably sitting there like, well, Thanks for that, but that's not really why I came, right? Like, he's, everybody can see what this guy needed, right? It's pretty obvious what he needed. I think that's actually the mistake that we make. We make this mistake a lot where we begin to think that we know what we really need. In fact, we start telling God what we need. And I know maybe you're, you guys are going through some problems. You've got some things that are going on in your life. We all have stresses. And, and, and somehow we come to the conclusion of what my, what my real need is right now. And, and we start praying like that, don't we? We start telling God um, what our need is. And, and then we start asking uh, for the solution that, that we've already concluded that we need. Like, like, God, I'll save you the trouble diagnosing. I already done that. All I need you to do is fix my problems. All I need you to do is give me success at work. Fire that lazy coworker that I don't want to have to deal with anymore. Or, or like make my kids obey me or keep them healthy or deal with my spouse or fix my marriage or take away my stress or, or, or give me some wiggle room in my budget. Or heal my sickness. Heal my addiction. Take away the pain that I'm feeling from my past. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong that we would pray for those things. And, and God says that he wants us to. He, he says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He wants to hear those things. But the danger is when we would decide if I get fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. And we start thinking that's the problem. If I can just get that fixed, that's the thing that I really need. And if you were honest, like what, what, would, what would be your fill in the blank? If I could just have, then I'd be happy. 
I think the, 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 the paralyzed man is probably thinking, well, like it's pretty obvious, right? He's going to be thinking like, I can't walk. If I could just get that fixed, everything would be better, right? I mean, if, if he got his legs back, he'd be able to go to work and get a job and start making money and all his problems would be fixed. But Jesus says to him, no, your, your sins are forgiven. What, what Jesus is doing is he's taking him into the counseling room. He's trying to help him understand, listen, your need is much deeper than you think it is. Jesus could have just fixed the guy's legs. And I'm sure that if he had done that, if he had just like instantly like, wow, that's, these, look at these guys, of course I'm going to heal you. And he just heals. The guy probably would have been like jumping up and, and running around like, man, this is the greatest moment of my life. Let's go play some football or do something, man. Like, I'm just going to enjoy this for, for a little while, right? It's like if you, um, you, you've experienced this, you go to you, Christmas morning. Let's just say, for example, that you... Uh, you, you get everything on your Amazon wish list. It's waiting for you under the, don't, don't get your hopes up. It's probably not gonna happen, but let's just say that you did, okay? Everything on your Amazon wish list is there for you waiting under the tree. That'd be a really good day, would it not? Like, I got everything I wanted. But all of us know that eventually the, the shine starts to wear off and it doesn't quite satisfy like we thought that it might. Tim Keller said this, the roots of the discontent of the human heart go deep. We feel um, the pain of this broken world. And um, we know we all are wrestling with things and struggling and we have problems. But when we fill in the blank with what we think we need with anything other than Jesus, what we end up doing is we look to that thing and we idolize it. We make it our, that's the thing that's going to save us. That's the thing that's going to satisfy us. That's the thing that we really need. But the crazy thing is, even if we got that, even if you got that bigger house or perfect kids, perfect marriage or perfect job, it's possible you'd completely miss your deepest need. See, Jesus knows your deepest need, even when you don't. And, and, and here's this guy, this, this man, he calls him a sinner. I, like, like, I, I gotta be honest, like, that, that's kind of offensive, especially, you know, you see a guy like paralyzed like that, like, don't say something like that, but he's a sinner. And what Jesus is trying to help him understand is like, I can fix your legs, but I want to fix that. I want to heal you completely. I mean, if you think about it, he could have healed this guy um, physically, and the guy could have walked out of the house and into an eternity in hell, separated from God. You see, our biggest problem is not our suffering. Our biggest problem is our sin. And Jesus knows what we really and until you are willing to confess your sin, uh, you're going to continue to live in, in, in confusion as to uh, why your marriage is a mess or why you can't get over that addiction or why you're struggling 
with life or why you're not happy even though you have a lot that you know you should be grateful for. And I'm not trying to simplify everything. I know that our problems are incredibly complex. And I, and I also know that, that we are often the victims of suffering that is not because of our sin. But like this, this guy, it, it's not a direct result. Jesus gives no indication that the reason that he's paralyzed is because of particular sin in his life. But even this victim who needs to be healed is not excused from the sin that's in his heart. You and I, what he's trying to help us understand is we need a deeper healing. And it's not just, um, and not just our circumstances. We so often think that if Jesus would just, if, if God would just change my circumstances, everything would be great. But it's in our heart. That's where God does his greatest work. And those who get this are the people that you see who can go through some of the most difficult and trying circumstances with joy on their face and in their hearts and a peace that you could never understand unless you know this. Note this second thing about Jesus. Jesus can meet your deepest need. Jesus can meet your deepest need. Look what he says in verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? All right, we've got a, a, a little test here. Which is easier? To say to the, to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed, and he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So, so, so here we're getting the very first conflict that we're going to have between Jesus and the religious leaders. And it's probably going to last all the way up until the cross. These guys are kind of ticked off. They're not super excited about who Jesus is. They say he's blaspheming, and, and they ask, like, who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and you got to know, that's not actually wrong question to ask. They're, 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 they're actually right on that one. Because the Old Testament is really clear. Only God can forgive sins. I want to adapt an illustration I got from, from Tim Keller. Let's just say, we're going to play scenario out, okay? Let's just say that we're having an elder meeting. We're having an elder meeting, Scott, and, and, and we're getting into something, and, and let's just say, for example, that Scott says something that I don't like, and I just come up to Scott, and I just punch him right in the mouth. And now I would never do that. I would never do that because I love Scott and because he knows Krav Maga and could probably kill me in like eight different ways. That's not a good choice for me. But let's just say, for example, that I did. I just walk up to him, like, boom, and he's laid out, and... Here's what's, here's what's not going to happen. Matt is not going to stand up and step in and say, Jeff, I forgive you for punching Scott in the mouth. Everything, we're all cool. Your, your guilt is absolved. That's not, like, Scott's going to be like bleeding on the floor. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't do that. Why? Because I didn't punch Matt in the mouth. Who did I sin against? I sinned against Scott. So whenever we sin, who do we sin against? Do you know that? 
In fact, that's why David says in the Old Testament, David's the man after God's own heart. We love him. He's, he's a really cool guy. And yet he, like, royally messed up. You know that, right? He slept with another man's wife, and then he has that guy murdered so that he could try to cover up his sin. But, but then when he's confronted in it, we actually get the prayer of repentance that he prays. In Psalm 51, David is praying this, this prayer of repentance after his sin. And in Psalm 51, verse 4, he says to God, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, I got to be honest, when I read that, there's, there's, there's part of me is like, wait a minute, dude, you like, there's a whole bunch of people you sinned against, all right? Like, there's a whole bunch of people that got hurt in your sin, but what's he, why, why is he saying that? Well, because when, when, whenever we sin, any sin is ultimately committed against God. We offend him, meaning God has to forgive us and only he can. And so when Jesus steps in and he says, son, your sin's are forgiven. He's claiming to do what only God can do. He's actually claiming to be the one who is offended, which is exactly what Mark is trying to been telling us the whole time. Remember chapter 1, verse 1? The claim that he's trying to prove for us is that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of God. He is the one that we offended. And so because he says that, the, the, these scribes, these religious leaders, they get it. They understand, like, he's claiming to be God. And so they say blasphemy, which is not really a, a word that we use very often. But what the word literally means to, to, to speak evil or to slander. So any man who would claim to be God would be speaking in a way to injure the holy and the precious name of God. Unless it's true. Unless he really is. So Jesus poses this question to him because I, I love that he kind of like knows what's going on in their hearts. And so he says, okay, let, let, let's just do the scenario here. Uh, which is easier to say? Like, okay, which is it? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise, take up your bed and, and walk? Now, that, that's actually a really complicated question. If I could try to simplify, I think the point that Jesus is trying to make is, like, listen, I get that claiming to be able to forgive sins, that, like, that may be arrogant and blasphemous, but, but how would anybody know if it actually happened? I mean, there's no visible, tangible evidence to know if it, if it happened when I said it. But if he says he can heal, well, he's got to prove that, right? Like, put up or shut up. Like, everybody's going to know. And this isn't some, like, like Benny Hinn miracle where somebody's, like, coming in and, and they've got, like, this internal thing going on that nobody else can tell. Like, I've got, like, liver cancer. And he's like, boom, you're healed. Whoa, that's awesome. Like, that's, like, that's not what's going on here. What he, like, this guy, he can't walk. So if he gets healed, then he'll be able to, well, we'll be able to see that, won't we? And so he says to him, uh, verse 10, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive. The reason Jesus has the authority to forgive sins is because He's the one we've sinned against. And because He has divine authority, all He has to do is speak a word. He says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately He rose, and He picks up His bed, and He went out before them all. And that put an exclamation point on the proof that Jesus can meet your deepest need to be forgiven by God. And He's the one who can heal you completely. 
And everybody who's watching this, this is they're, they're all amazed. They're glorifying God. They're saying, we never saw anything like this. Can I tell you, you have never seen anything like what Jesus can do in your life. And if you're tired of struggling with the same sins or, or, or circling around the same arguments day after day, not knowing how to handle these perpetual problems that you have in your life, if you're tired of feeling lost, feeling disappointed, feeling discouraged, feeling confused, feeling anxious, even if the circumstances may not be your fault, but you're still wrestling with how to respond it, I'd like to tell you that it's not just possible, it's likely that you still have sin in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And he would encourage you, let, let, let the Spirit bring you, use his word to bring you under conviction. This is what he does. He, he reveals truth. And if you will, in faith, come under the steady scalpel of the great surgeon, he will cut deeper than you ever would have been willing to admit he had to go. And he will unearth the ugliness in your heart. He's going to expose the raw hideousness of your sin. Not, not, not to shame you. Not to shame you. But to forgive you. He wants to forgive you and heal you completely. Imagine knowing that. Imagine knowing I am completely healed and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason that he can do that, he just proved it. He's the one that can meet your deepest need. Because he's the one who came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? So that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just. It's actually just. Why is it just? It doesn't seem fair. Well, it's just because Jesus stepped in and he took your place so that he could forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it's been, he has the ability to meet your deepest need that you didn't even know you had. So Jesus knows and can meet your deepest need, but then note this, Jesus befriends you when you're in need. Jesus befriends you when you're in need. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, "Why? Okay, I gotta like say this with like some like uh, you know sneer in in my voice. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners?" And, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, "Well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous." Uh, but the sinners. So I just want you to see that Jesus is really intentional about choosing his followers, the people that he hangs out with. It's pretty awesome. Verse 14, he's talking about this guy, Levi, who's sitting at his tax booth. Because uh, I don't think I need to tell most of you that, that tax collectors in, are, are like the bad guys in the Bible. You know that? Uh, like the, in the New Testament, the Romans are in charge, and they've got this really complex 
tax system. And, and, and if you had any uh, acute uh, sense of like uh, a conscience or if you had high moral standards, this was not your um, occupation of choice because this, this job attracted greedy and, and the ambitious, the people that just want to play the game and, and, and willing to kind of engage in some shady business deals because they just want to make more money. That's what they're in this for. They just want to make a lot of money. And so because of that, these are, these are Jews that are playing by the Romans game and the rest, they're like despised by their fellow Jews. Like nobody's going to trust them. And then in fact, they even excommunicate them out of the synagogues. Like we don't want these people. Nobody wants to associate with them. And here's Jesus calling one of them to be his disciple. And he says, follow me. Uh, again, I just, like side note, um, that's not an uh, intellectual belief. He's actually giving a call to action. And that's what discipleship is in, in the book of Mark. That he wants us to get up and go be like Jesus. To follow after him. And, and who do you see following him? Verse 15, you get these, these uh, tax collectors and sinners. They're reclining with Jesus and his disciples. It actually seems like Jesus is the one hosting these people around the table. And they're the ones, it says, who followed him. And that in and of itself, to these scribes, man, that is scandalous that Jesus would do that. It's like, I can't believe that like, if you are going to be a leader in the religious community, you've got to maintain this level that you're, you're above certain people. Because you would never want to give the impression that you associate with or that you condone certain sinful behavior. Like, don't want to do that. But what, what does Jesus say, verse 17? Well, those who are well have no need of a physician. Okay, you, you get this. Um, some of you are really good about going to the doctor for your checkups and anything. But, but, like, how many of you, if you were never sick again, you would never go to the doctor? Anybody? Okay, like most of you. Like that, that's, I think that's pretty reasonable. So who goes to the doctor? It's the people who are sick, right? If you're in trouble, if you're in need, you need somebody who's going to be able to heal you. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So who are the sinners that need to be healed? All of them, right? The scribes are the ones that just don't know it. This, this would include... All the, the, maybe, maybe what we would say the, the, the sinners in, in, in our culture. Maybe, I don't know if it's like atheists that, that flaunt their cynicism and, and their disbelief and, and even hatred of God and, 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 and the, the people that just want to party and, and revel in immorality and, and, and maybe even those, those liberals that are pushing gay marriage and abortion. It would include all of them, but it also would include the, the hypocrites and the, and, and the super religious that are better than everybody else because they're not like them. They're, they're good, and those people end up being judgmental and hateful. And I realize that none of us really would, would probably land in either one of those extremes, but it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. We are all sinners who need to be forgiven. And so if you are a sinner, can I just tell you, be encouraged. Because look at what he does. Verse 14, this, this man, Levi, this, this tax collector, uh, that's another name for um, the disciple that we know as Matthew. Matthew was the tax collector. In fact, uh, Matthew um, wrote the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew that comes right before Mark. And as a tax collector, I just think this really stood out to him. Because he recorded these words, I have them on the screen, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, 
Jesus is speaking, and he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is the forgiving friend of sinners, and he's the friend that you need. He wants to be with you. And here he is surrounded by all these people who, like these guys know that they're in need, right? But Jesus is welcoming them. He wants to fellowship with them because he's the one who can forgive. Kind of an incredible picture too. Here's Jesus surrounded by all these welcoming them to the table that they might have fellowship with him. Kind of foreshadowing the day where we're going to sit around the table with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb where he gathers all of his people from every nation. But do you know that Jesus doesn't befriend you because of what you bring to the table? Jesus invites you to join him at the table because he wants to show you that he loves you. And he befriends us when we're in need. What a friend we have in are you thankful for him? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad it's been. He still wants to be with you and has done everything to make that possible. I want to pray. But maybe, as I do, everybody's just kind of spending a moment with the Lord. Maybe there's something that you know you need to ask forgiveness for. Maybe you've been looking to something else to satisfy you. Maybe you've gotten it completely wrong. You've been thinking this whole time there was something else you needed when all along Jesus wants you to know you really just need to be forgiven by him. Just spend a moment and confess that sin. Maybe, maybe it was looking for better circumstances, better job, better place to live, more friends, fix my marriage. But certainly, we can ask for those things. But if we would put any of those things before Christ, then we need to seek his forgiveness of that. Father, thank you so much that you love us and you befriend us when we're in need. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be in awe of Jesus, that you would forgive us, that you would step in and take the punishment for our sin to demonstrate that you love us and you want to be with us. Not because of what we bring to the table, not because we're something special, but because you are. So we worship you. We fall down and worship the Son of God. And it's in the precious, mighty name of Jesus.